It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, everybody, it's Friday. So you know what that means? It's time for a Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast Network roundtable. We got Luke Inman. We got uh, Sam Ekstrom. And you know what? The Vikings had their practices with the 49ers, and it is all said and done. It is Friday. Players are resting in their nests. They're getting ready for Saturday. Who's going to play? Who's not going to play? We're going to jump into that next. But first, we have a word from our sponsors. Today's show brought to you by BetOnline.net. It's always the fastest and easiest way to get all your sports wagering information. I just checked the latest Vikings 49ers line. Vikings are favored by four and a half in this preseason game. I feel like that, that line is big for the preseason. We'll see if the Vikings can cover it. Minus 210 on the money line. And that's right at betonline.net where they've got all the lines for all the preseason games and even into the regular season right now. Go check it out. They're your top online resource for not just the NFL, but every other league as well. Head there today on your laptop, mobile device, whatever you have, and get all the information about the action happening. It's Bet Online where the game starts. Well, fellas, it was a momentous week, I'd say. Uh, we had Adam Thielen. I got to stand next to his wife for a little bit, her and Caitlin and I and Luke, his agent, uh, a couple of their friends. We were all standing around talking. Um, and, and I, I want to get, I just realized this, we got to get uh, Adam Thielen's boy on this podcast because this dude has a tattoo. I don't know if you guys know this. He has a tattoo of Adam Thielen on his thigh. Like Adam's face is tattooed to his thigh. So every time I see this guy, I just laugh at that because not a lot of people know that, but we're going to have to break that on our show one of these days. Um, but like by choice, saying, or did he lose a bet? Did he lose a so bet? So the or thing. Or he, he lost a that? bet, but Caitlin, every time he says he lost a bet, Caitlin's like, but nobody forced you to do that. Like, you did not have to do like I, like that's like somebody saying you lost a bet, you gotta punch your grandma. No, like I'm not punching my grandma. Like, I lost the bet. I will I will pay a thousand dollars. I'll pay you a hundred, I'll take you to lunch. Like, I'm not getting a tattoo. Like, I don't care what the bet was. I will leave. Like, we don't have to be friends anymore. I'm not tattooing anything stupid on my body for a bet. But this guy did it. So at some point, we got to get that with the thigh on the show. Uh, I think I have a picture of it somewhere, too. So we might have to, to, to debut that. Maybe get Adam back on the podcast and show Adam the picture again and ask him what he thinks about it. Who, um, who is this guy, by the way? Just I got to keep going with this. Is this his he's buddy? Like Adam's, he's like Adam's buddy from college. Yeah, he's a Mankato State guy. I'm going to text Caitlin and get his name and stuff um, and then get maybe get Caitlin on the pod. Oh, yeah, we should get Caitlin on the pod um, and have her tell her version of that story um, and maybe see if Adam's in the background with the kids or something. But mm -hmm. I have to catch her when she's home. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to do that. that. That'll be a good one. But yeah, no, he's a he's a Mankato State guy and they were they made a bet and he lost. And I guess that, you know, who knows what happens when you're drinking and somebody bets you something. Yeah, this idiot went through with it and got the tattoo. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that was that was one of the training camp laughs of the day. Uh, but standing next to Caitlin, the funniest for me and you guys tell me your takeaways from the camp or from yesterday's practice. The funniest for me was Caitlin when Adam started jarring with a guy but Caitlin's reaction was like what is he even saying like he doesn't curse so like what does he say so like for the next like minute me him and his friend were like reenacting what we thought Adam was saying like hey guy get the get freaking back like back up guy like I mean it was just excuse it was me the sir funniest. 
excuse me, sir, <laughs> will you just step back a moment? It was so Pardon funny because she was saying that. She's like, he doesn't curse. So what, like, what is he doing over there? Like, it was the funniest, like, moment. Like, because I was just thinking, like, you're right. Like, he does it. Like, it's just like hearing Kirk do it. It's, it's super funny. And so I wonder if maybe, like, after Thielen ran up like a chihuahua, guys just kind of laughed and backed up. But, but anyway, that was kind of my takeaway, seeing the, uh, the fire from guys, seeing the want. Uh, I saw the, the 49ers linebacker at the end of one kind of, like, start jarring at the tackle. And his players had to back him up. I saw Justin Jefferson looking at a linebacker after a deep ball. You know, the DB from the 49ers had to get Jefferson to stop looking at the linebacker because they didn't want it to be something. So you could see tensions were getting – I mean, that day two is a long week, or that day two a full go. It's a long week. So tensions were high, but it was good to see because there is some fighting this dog uh, versus rolling over and letting somebody just beat you up in your own house. Uh, the Vikings weren't backing down. So that was fun to see for me. What about you, Luke? Yeah, uh, the intensity, you're right. The fire. Some of these guys are fighting for their jobs. I think we talked about it last week. I mean, they're trying to put food on the table. Definitely worth the ticket to buy there. If you're going to pick one practice to go to, those joint practices are always the most intense and most entertaining. It's been the offensive show, who's getting who, when it comes to mm -hmm. the Vikings and how they've looked. Um, but I was worried about this defensive line specifically, just quietly curious how this defensive line was going to look. If you're going to run a three, four, you need three big bodies in there. And it sounds like Harrison Phillips and Armin Watts have played really well together already. Um, and then of course, Dalvin Tomlinson as well in the middle there. So the defensive line impressed me quite a bit. Harrison Phillips just looks like he's going to step into that Michael Pierce, Limbaugh Joseph type of role and not skip a beat. That's great to see. And then those pass rushers look great. Not just the starters, the Darius and Daniil pinning their ears back, but Wanham, Patrick Jones, and they'll probably keep a, 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 you know, at least one, if not two more of those guys. So is it going to be Janarius Robinson, fourth round pick from Florida state last year? Is it going to be a UDFA, Zach McLeod, Luigi, Valane. That'll be interesting to see. We'll talk about this 49ers game here in a little bit. And then I was just interested to see the defensive as a whole, the cornerbacks. Cameron Dantzler's had a really good camp, but how was he going to look against different skill sets, uh, different talents? Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayukes thought he held his own pretty well. Andrew Booth Jr. looks like, you know, he's got to learn that NFL learning curve, a little grabby, a little aggressive, but all in all, the tools are there for coaches to kind of mold and develop him. And then you got some younger guys too, like a Caleb Evans. So I thought all three phases, all three levels of the defense really impressed me during those uh, joint practices with the Niners. Hey, Sam. Yeah, back to the Thielen thing. I tweeted about that little scuffle. I just said Adam Thielen rushed the field, had to be held back, taking exception to the 49ers tackling uh, the Vikings running backs. 49ers fans, in my mentions, they are salty about it. They are sending me crybaby memes and saying, what's Adam Thielen going to do to us? I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, I don't know if Adam Thielen has a reputation around the league um, for, for being this way. But I'm looking at Adam Thielen's stats against the 49ers last year. Seven catches, 62 yards, two touchdowns. Back in 2018, six catches, 102 yards. So I think he's he's definitely burned the 49ers before, and he's gotten the better of them. So I think he gets the last laugh on this. Um, but I th it's really funny, Ron, that you had the other perspective on that sequence because Thielen was mad. I mean, he was furious that they were bringing Dalvin Cook down and Kenny Wangu and, uh, and Alexander Madison. They were getting rough with them. Um, I thought the Vikings offense conducted itself really well. I mean, Luke, you're right. The defense was solid, I thought, both days. But I thought the offense was really good, too. 
And I keep seeing K.J. Osborne pop. I mean, whether it's the two-minute drill, the hurry-up drill, he's been making some great grabs. Justin Jefferson, near unguardable. Adam Thielen, of course, pops up here and there, too. They've really got a big three working this year, and you see it in, in situational drills all the time where you can't decide who you want to guard because Osborne is so good in those situations. Uh, Jefferson just can't be stopped. He had a couple big grabs. Uh, with the two-minute drill. So I love what I see from the offense, and they continue to impress me throughout camp. So I think that if if you were assuming that Kevin O'Connell was going to be good for this offense, I think your assumption was correct based on the early returns. He found wow. the pitcher. Wow. Yeah. Look see? at that. Look that's at that. Hey, that's no chicken scratch. At least that's, like, detailed and looks good. I didn't oh, yeah. know what to if expect it was a... when you said it's his face. Oh, yeah. That's on his thigh. His face is on his thigh. So we're going to have to get – when we get Thielen back life. on next time and get Caitlin. We need to just get this guy. I, I'm going to get Caitlin to give me his number. We'll get him on and just talk about what happened and why he did this because uh, that's a great talker. This guy that's better like hope that football. Adam Thielen That's like a fantasy football fall loser off. punishment right there. Yeah. Like, if, what it if must, Adam I don't know. falls off the, story, the deep end, though? In his 40s or 50s. Yeah. Like, what if Adam Thielen does some crazy stuff later in life? That's going to look really bad. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, no, I just want to follow. I just want to ask you guys real quick. You guys were there both days. Everything, again, just just uh, passing with flying colors, all three phases, you name it. What concerned you? Was there anything that jumped out that said, all right, clearly, maybe it's a depth issue. Maybe it was a starter. Maybe it was just one guy getting burned repeatedly. But anything that concerned you coming out of these two joint practices? Because all of we've really heard after these last 48 hours is, oh, my God, the Vikings look poised and they look great and the vibe is good around camp. Uh, for me, no, not really. I mean, this is what I would say. Like, the QB2 is not consistent. You know, like, mm -hmm. all of a sudden now, uh, what's his name? Sean Mannion's throwing bombs, but that's in practice. That's with the red right. jersey on and nobody running at you that can actually touch you. They can run by you. They can't hit you. So I, I'm, not, I'm not sold on Mannion, even though he had a couple great passes in practice. I want to see it transition to the game because I feel like his gameplay was not as great. Um, that's the only thing that kind of concerns me is that Sean Mannion does look good in practice. And that's concerning because if you're making your judgments based off practice, Sean Mannion is QB2 right now until they, unless they find somebody else. If you go off the games, and we only have one game, so small sample size, we'll get a huge sample size, I think, um, tomorrow. Um it, it, it's got to be Kellen Mond. And so I think that's the only thing that's concerning to me is Kellen Mond in practice. Um, I don't know if he's just learning still and in, in, in like in a game that, that the, the adrenaline kicks in and, and just play mode comes out. Um, but in practice, he looked okay, but he didn't look game-like. Like he didn't look like he looked when we saw him in the game where he's making some great throws. So, you know, who knows? And maybe the 49ers just had, you know, like they don't give you like Kirk through a lot of tight balls and tight windows. And maybe that's he's not comfortable trying to make those throws just yet. But that's the thing about the 49ers defense. Um, you, you're not going to get easy tosses. You're going to have to work for every throw. Um, but yeah, that I think that's it. But, you know, and I, and I talked to a couple former – because they're Jerry Kill guys. Uh, one of Jerry Kill's linebackers, three of his coaches are now with the – or two of his coaches are with the 49ers. So we were talking for a while after practice. And Jimmy Garoppolo didn't make the trip. So – if you're looking for a QB2 for cheap, maybe. Like, if he's willing to just say – because if, you, if you're going to be a QB2, you probably don't want to be where you're at. Like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like a slap in the face. Uh, I'd rather go somewhere else and be a QB2. Why not come to Minnesota? 
that's a great option for a backup and just, you know, trade a couple fifth, third, second round picks and get you a great backup. You know, who knows? But anyway, what do you what did what did you get from that, uh, Sam? Yeah, I mean, my I guess my two concerns aren't necessarily on field concerns. One of them is just if, if you read about the injury bug hitting a little bit. Jesse Davis got shaken up on on Wednesday and then didn't practice yesterday. And then Chris Reed has missed about a week now. So you're losing a little bit of interior line depth. Uh, we don't know the severity of those injuries, but you don't love to see that. Um, although Ed Ingram looking good does help, um, you know, kind of massage that over because he, he really has been impressive. Second concern, and, and I got to toss in a little Kirk Cousins slander here because I know it bothers Ron. <laughs> I do look at Trey Lance. And I didn't think he was perfect by any means. But I look at sort of his ability to extend plays and his athleticism, and it just reminds mm -hmm. me of what Kirk Cousins isn't. I think that mm -hmm. Lance, while he might have struggled at times in these practices, these practices are really based around kind of getting back and, and getting to your first read. And you know, when the play breaks down, people kind of like, you know, kind of take their foot off the gas. I think in the regular season – his ability to extend plays will be fantastic. Like he's going to run for a lot of yards. He's going to make a lot of improvisational throws where he's running out of the pocket, finding Debo in the flat. He did that a couple times actually yesterday um, where Debo was kind of his safety net. And I, I just, I don't see that ability from Cousins still. And I don't think we ever will. He's 33. Mm -hmm. He's not going to suddenly become super athletic. He's a drop back pocket passer. Occasionally yeah. get him on a rollout with a design play action, but I am reminded when I see Lance that that ability to extend plays can cover up a lot of other issues. So even if he's not as comfortable in the pocket, I think he's gonna his athleticism is going to come in handy. And I, I can tell already that he's going to be a problem for opposing defenses. And that's not something right. that anyone says about Kirk Cousins. Right. Yeah, and, and so jumping into our next topic, I mean, you, you said depth. You know, we talked about guards. Look at the depth of this draft. I mean, DeQuasey hit the nail on the head. You got Lewis Seen, Andrew Booth Jr., Ed Ingram, and Brian Osamoa were his top four picks in the first three rounds. If you want to throw in a Caleb Evans and a Zazia Tamewu, and then even down a Ty Chandler, like that's a solid – I mean, Ty Chandler may or may not make this roster uh, because I think it's going to be tough to get C.J. Ham out, even though you don't do a ton of ISO and a ton of fullback stuff. I, I – that's going to be a tough one. I think if they do have to move on because they just don't, you know, they don't use them enough. Um, that's going to be one of the toughest things Minnesota fans are ever going to have to deal with is if CJ Ham doesn't make it. But if you look at Ty Chandler, but you take him out of there, you got a Sezi Atame who's going to make it. And you got a Caleb Evans who probably is going to make it as long as he stays healthy. But those top four, they're all going to contribute this year. Ed Ingram looks like he's probably the starter. Lewis Seam most likely is the, 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 the odds on favorite to be starter. Andrew Booth is going to be worked in. I think Cam Dancer looks really confident right now, which is a great thing to have your second-round pick be able to sit a little bit and not have to be thrown into the fire. Uh, and then Brian Osamoa is going to play a lot in his sub-packages. He's going to play a ton of special teams. Uh, he, he moves well in his 3-4 defense where they can use him as different players as the Joker. He can come in and play the outside jack. He can rush the quarterback. He can guard. You know, he can cover a running back. So, in my opinion, the answer is yes. I think Quasey did a great job. Uh, him and Kevin O'Connell did a great job with those four because they're all – we don't have one guy in there where we're like, uh, yeah, no, nah, that was a terrible pick. Mm -hmm. Like, those four guys are going to play. And I think that's huge in your first year 
to kind of hit it right where it is because years last couple of years let's be real these these third mm. fourth round picks that have been picked here have not contributed and probably won't be on this roster so to see those four really shining right now i think that's huge what do you got luke yeah no absolutely so far so good early signs pointing to this being a very very solid draft in that bb plus range with the potential to be in that a range a minus a and you mentioned the first four picks Listen, early round picks are supposed to be good. Now, they, they don't always pan out. Obviously, there's plenty of busts along the way, but they're supposed to be good. That's why they were drafted in the first round. Where you really can excel in the draft and, and you know, fill your roster, you know, the cracks of your roster is those day two, day three picks. And you mentioned it, Ed Ingram, day two, Brian Asamoah, Caleb Evans, you know, maybe we don't see him a ton this year, but we know Kwesi, that was his draft crush. Maybe when they lose Patrick Peterson next year, which we're all assuming, um, you know, he's on that one-year contract now he'll probably be gone next year everybody on the depth chart gets elevated we see a lot more Caleb Evans and then like you mentioned once you get to that point if you can even go 50 percent on those last couple picks which right now you've got Ty Chandler Vidarian Lowe's probably going to make the team I would assume and then Jalen Naylor still in that mix for that wide receiver five six seven in there pending how many they keep if you can mm -hmm. have 50 percent of those picks that's a huge hit rate and that's a huge success I think it's it's one thing to end up being a starter like an Ed Ingram and a Brian Osaboa it's another mm -hmm. thing and how you get to that AA plus draft if you if you end up hitting a superstar right like a Justin Jefferson guys like that so we'll see two, three years down the road, where Lewis Cena and Andrew Booth are, are they just starters? Mm -hmm. Are they solid quality guys? Or are they kind of near that superstar kind of status? Too early to tell right now, but right now, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, Ron. B plus for sure with the potential to move up to an A minus, maybe even an A. Yeah, and the rubber meets the road when they actually have to start a game, right? I mean, mm -hmm, I think right. all of them are in position to start games this year. In Ingram's case, it might be week one. In Booth, Seen, and Asamoah's case, I think they're probably one injury away. And inevitably, someone's going to get hurt. You know, Cam Bynum, Cam Dantzler, um, Jordan Hicks. They're probably the first man off the bench to replace a lot of those guys. And they probably will have to start games. So how will they perform in those situations? That's going to be the key. But um, could we be talking about this as sort of the 2015 draft where Spielman absolutely nailed it, where he got stars. He got Kendricks, Hunter, Diggs, and of course, Trey Waynes was very good as well. Um, could this be that type of draft that sets the Vikings up for years to come? Because look at all the mileage the Vikings are still getting out of that 2015 draft. Um, they got, you know, four or five years of a couple of those guys, and they're getting now eight, nine years out of, you know, Kendricks and, uh, and Daniil. So think about what a draft like that could mean for the future of your franchise if you mm -hmm. nail it. And top four picks, I mean, it seems like they all have positive momentum going into the season. Um, and credit the coaching staff, too, for developing them well, keeping them healthy, and they all seem to, to kind of have that upward trajectory. So I'm really encouraged by it. Sam, twenty fifteen. Yeah, and let's talk you, about you the game. To bring up TJ Clemmings. <laughs> you didn't bring up TJ. Come on, man. Hey, here's my one. Oh, TJ's my, my guy. The best, the best pick. No, I love TJ. TJ. Yeah. Uh, here's here's my one qualm, and I want to ask Ron what he thinks about this. Am I overreacting here? They. I'm a big draft guy. Mock draft. Study him all offseason. Whatever. When they traded that far back and didn't recoup a next year's first or even second round pick, I thought they really got sniped there. 
is that overreaction? I know all these trade value charts change all the time. People don't go off the Jimmy Johnson trade chart and things like that. But just as far back as they dropped to not get a future pick next year, uh, I thought they kind of got swindled a little bit. What did you think about that trade? And, and you know, looking back at it now, do you think that was still the right move? Or do you think they could have got a little bit extra? Um, maybe. Um, and, and I think they even said that they said that in their presser, like, uh, you know, maybe we went a little too, too brash at this one. And, uh, but again, that's, that's a rookie GM and a rookie head coach, um, right. dealing with vets. So, I mean, we, we all, I mean, I don't know if everybody's seen it. I love the movie game day with, with uh, Kevin Costner. Love it. Uh, love it. And it, it, I just, I love the dynamic of like the breakfast guys eating breakfast, got GMs calling them, you know, doing the pause <laughs> and letting the GM think for himself. <laughs> Like, what do you think about this guy? What do you mean? What do you think? Like, what's wrong with him? And then they don't draft the quarterback, and now everybody's panicking about, you know, who's going to be taken and what's going on. Like, I love that. So that happens. You know, that happens where GMs, like, they don't know, and they, they want to make sure they're getting the best deal. They want to make sure they're getting the best player they're getting. And sometimes the other team gets the best deal. Like, in, in every trade, you know, just like in stocks, there's a seller and a buyer. There's not often that both sides come out perfectly even like the Vikings did with Stefan Diggs and then drafting Justin Jefferson. That's the one time where you could say, you know what, this was kind of an even Steven trade. It worked out. You, we gave you a first round. And then also, you know, the Eagles helped them out. Like it technically wouldn't have been good. Like think about it if right. the Eagles actually take Justin Jefferson and the Vikings have to get uh, Rager. We're probably like now like pissed off and that's probably like everybody's like, oh my God, what, what do we do? Like, why do we do this? Like, why do we get rid of Stephon Diggs? And, we, and Vikings fans will be tweeting Diggs every day, all day about please come back. Well, they got Justin Jefferson and it doesn't matter anymore. So again, you know, shout out to the Eagles for hooking it up. But, you know, I think it's one of those things where you just have to, to, to look at what could you possibly get. And in this instance, you know, what to see down the road. Like, where does Lewis seem fall? Where do the possible picks that could have been taken? You know, there's so much involved in that. But no, I, I'd sure. say in that instance, being a rookie. Now, if this was like the third year, I might say, yeah, yeah, come on now. You know better than that. But for a rookie, you're just trying to get, you know, you're trying not to spend too much money on who you want, which I'm guessing they wanted Lewis seen because they, they didn't get Kyle mm -hmm. Hamilton, which I think honestly is a good thought too now. Kyle Hamilton does not mm -hmm. look great. Um they dropped back and got the guy they wanted, which is Lewis Seen, right before I think the Chiefs wanted him at 33 or something somebody was saying. So, mm -hmm. uh, or whoever had 30, Tampa. Tampa had him at 33. Um, so, you know, they got him right before Tampa would have gotten him. So that was great. Um, yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, I think it, it worked out. But, you know, but now it's time to move on to the 49ers game. And I don't really understand preseason um, we can predict what we think is going to happen. What I'm, I, I think is going to happen is they're going to rest 30 guys again. I think Kirk's maybe going to play one series. Um, not sure if Adam Thielen, those guys are going to play. I know they were supposed to play in game one a little bit, but then Kirk got COVID. So then all that went out the window. Um, uh, I think the joint practices, they got a lot of work. So my prediction is, I think like, I'm going to go with the Kellen Mond prediction. I think Kellen Mond at home, uh, takes a slight step back at times. And then at some point, wows the fans. And then, you know, with the home fans, everybody's going to be cheering and, and hooping and hollering uh, that, you know, they can't wait for Kelamon to be QB2. That's my prediction. 
No, I like that. I, I think I'm with you. Same page. Probably don't see any of the starters. If you do even see the starters for just a series or two, I don't expect to see any of the core vets, right? Kendritz, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith, Thielen. I don't expect to see any of those guys, even if the starters do actually play. And then, you know, is Ed Ingram, if the starters play, is Ed Ingram in there starting at right guard? Who's the backup centers here? What does that look like in the coach's mind here? We get to put ourselves in their feet and see if it's Chris Reed, Schlotman, what that looks like. I'm excited to see these young pass rushers continue to get after the passer. Now they get to play at home in front of that home crowd, a little bit of edge there. Those young cornerbacks, we always talk about seeing them take another step forward. Um, and then punt returner. I'm just still interested about what's going on at punt returner. Amir Smith-Marset bobbled that punt last week. Let's see if he gets the first crack at it again. Let's see if it's a guy like Albert Wilson or somebody else in the mix. Um, and then that wide receiver five, six, seven competition. Uh, I've just really been kind of honed in and drilled in on. I just want to see what the order looks like. And I think, Sam, maybe you brought it up the other day on the uh, football party. B.C. Johnson quietly ahead of most of those guys when we talk about that group. He seems like, again, remember two years ago before he got hurt, he was cemented as wide receiver three. Then he gets mm -hmm. hurt, misses a year and a half. K.J. Osborne steps up. But it seems like when a guy needs a breather and goes to the sideline, BC's the first guy in, as you mentioned. So maybe BC clearly ahead of some of those other guys, even Amir Smith-Marset at times as well. But those are the big things I'm looking forward to as well. As uh, Ron mentioned, Kellen Mann, I think he's going to go out there, scramble, make some big plays, but you just want to see the progression. I don't expect to be night and day different, but just to see a little bit more anticipation, a little less robotic at times, just to see that he's, even if it's baby steps, taking one step forward in his development as a young quarterback. Yeah, that's a good point, Luke. Um, and I think that on the B.C. Johnson point, I noticed yesterday, K.J. Osborne got a little shaken up, one, one or two plays, he was right back in there. But during his absence, B.C. Johnson was in the slot, and he was, was taking that wide receiver three role. Now, I've seen Amir Smith-Marset be in that position as well. I, I still think that Amir Smith-Marset is your wide receiver four. I just see more explosive potential from him more speed Sean Mannion had a good connection with him both days against the 49ers including a bomb yesterday which Ron mentioned so I like uh Emir as wide receiver four but I think BC based on his experience is certainly in the mix for wide receiver five now my hesitation has always been the contract is mm -hmm. BC so much better than Jalen Naylor Tristan Jackson Myron Mitchell that you're going to cut one of them, potentially lose them when you have them for the next three, four years, and then you only get BC for one year uh, because it's the final year of his deal. That, to me, is, is an important consideration that I would take into account. Um, however, I don't see Mitchell, Jackson, Naylor running away with this thing at all. I think they're all kind of just treading water. I don't think they're emerging as these like unbelievable prospects and you can probably sneak them through to your practice squad pretty easily um, and then keep Johnson on your active roster so I don't have a problem with BC at all I think he's got good technique good head on his shoulders he can play inside outside uh, that's somebody that you want on your football team uh, and then where does Albert Wilson fit but obviously it's bubble watch I mean the the game is going to be I think most compelling to look at those depth pieces who's on the bubble I'm um, on that defensive line 
offensive line, secondary, who's going to play their way onto this team. They've got another five cuts coming next week down to 80, and then, of course, 27 cuts after that following the third preseason game. So jobs are on the line, and, and I'm much more intrigued by the bubble guys than I am by maybe a couple starters who get a few snaps for one or two series. Offensive line maybe gets a, a series or two. But I'm really watching those second and third quarters. How will those fringe players perform? Luke, you sold me. I was so I was I was so struggling with BC. Like he hasn't splashed. Yeah. And when I'm a receivers right. coach, you need mm-hmm. splash. And that's mm-hmm. what I was going off of. Mir Smith, Marset, Albert Wilson is four and five. But you know what? The turtle usually can win in a turtle race versus a rabbit. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to go with you on that. I am going to hype him up on the pregame show tomorrow. Now I got a new Let's I got go. a new talker. I got a new talker. Let's BC go. is wide receiver 4. Amir Smith-Marset is 5 because Ooh. he's the punt returner. Albert Wilson they bought him in as a free agent. Maybe he's 6 cuz Dan Chesena, uh Blake Pro, all those guys that are like not practicing and hurt, they're probably not going to make the roster at this point now. Uh, I, I think for our special teams, you got enough DBs to play Gunner. Dan Chesena doesn't give you enough at Gunner to warrant having a seventh or sixth receiver anyway, if that's your guy, that number. Um, so, yeah, I could see that. I could see the sixth receiver being Wilson uh, because BC can play Gunner, and some of these guys are going to have to do suspension. And Smith-Marset can be your punt returner and kick returner with Kane back there. So that does give you a chance to bring in six. And with this offense, I mean, looking at the Rams roster, Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, it's not like, it, it's like not QB3, unfathomable. No, not yeah, at all. QB3 yeah. might not be there. And then there might only mm-hmm. carry three running backs. So yeah, there's a chance for six receivers um, in this it, offense. It, yeah. And like Sam mentioned, you can sneak those other two, Tristan and Myron, maybe on the UDFA uh, practice squad, excuse me, a, a little yep. bit easier as well. And you're right. Like BC is not the high end a high ceiling explosion playmaker like Amir Smith-Marset's potential has to be. But sometimes you need to mix. They they don't all need to be the high-end guys. You need a little bit of mix in there. And the vets in there. I need BC to make a splash. (laughs) So I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So here we go. Another one. (laughs) 30-year-old Vikings, which that doesn't sound old to me at all. But Sam thinks it's old, so we're going to go with Sam's old talker. 30-year-old Vikings. You have... Vikings over 30, so you got Patrick old. Peterson, Cousins, Thielen, Harrison, Hicks, and Kendricks. Is there another one that you might think of? But those guys, any Viking over 30 who's sitting on a career year this season, Luke, to you? Well, Cousins is going to have his best statistical season of his career. I don't even know if I'm really going out on a limb there, to be honest. And he's had good I mean, statistical seasons, He had 4,900 seasons, no yards, doubt. though. So you're saying he's going to get 5,000? Yes, I am. Yep. And he did that under Mike Zimmer and Clint Kubiak and those kind of offensive coaches and those kind of mindsets of let's be conservative. Don't take that extra shot. Don't be aggressive. Don't try to sneak it in that extra window. Don't try to buy yourself extra time um, and, uh, you know, make a play when it's not there this time around. Buckle up, baby. 5,000 yards. 50 TDs is on the table right now for Cousins. But again, to me, I don't even think that's that shocking or surprising. So I'm going to pick another one. I still think Harrison Smith's got a lot more gas left in the tank than people are thinking and, and leading on. I, 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 he plays that position at all pro level that he's going to statistically be able to collect a lot of tackles, some sacks, some interceptions, get his hands on the ball. And I think he's going to have 
not necessarily a bounce back year, but just a fresh start, a reset button for all these core guys, Kendricks, Hunter, you name it, from that same system under Mike Zimmer the last eight years, which was good. I mean, they had definitely Zimmer, defensive-minded coach, one of the best in the business. But just to get a fresh look and a more modern approach now to the way the game's being played now, I think Harrison Smith's sitting on a really good year. Maybe not a career year because, let's be honest, he's had some great seasons in his body of work in his career. But I think he's uh, he's he's still got a lot more left in the tank than I think, again, people are leading on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Sam, what you got? So, you know who turns 30 on September 8th? Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith. Career year for Zadarius would be 14 sacks. I think that's attainable. Mm-hmm. I think if he stays healthy for 17 games, obviously the extra game helps a little bit. I think that's absolutely attainable. And the way he looked against San Francisco, sometimes against Trent Williams – backs that opinion up for me. He looked the best he's looked all camp when the bullets were flying against the 49ers. And I think that it's not, I mean, between Hunter and Smith, one of them's going for 15 sacks this year. Now, I don't know who it's going to be necessarily, but I don't think it's, I don't think you can necessarily say that it's definitely going to be Hunter. It's definitely going to be Smith. I think that teams are going to approach them they kind of have to pick their poison, right? They're going to they're gonna have to decide where the tight end is going to go. Well, if they decide to defend Hunter, who might be viewed as just a little a little above Smith, well, then Smith might be the one who gets the sacks. So I think Zadarius Smith could be sitting on a big season for the Vikings when people are kind of sleeping on him a little bit. Coming off injury, he's 30 years old now. Uh, this could be a big opportunity for him to really um, shock people and kind of get back to where he was in, like, 2019. Yeah, so I'm going to go. I was I like the Kirk Cousins take because I, I kind of was going to go with Kirk because I'm like, he not only has Justin Jefferson and Thielen, he has KJ Osborne, he also has Kevin O'Connell. So I do like that one. But the commander's year, 4,917 yards. So he has to get 4,918 or 5,000. Uh, 35 touchdowns in 2020 with the Vikings. So he has to hit 36 touchdowns. I think that's you get the, that extra game though now um, too though keep that yep. in mind that helps interceptions it does help interceptions uh, i'm not going to worry about that and then passer rating mm-hmm. 107.4 was as bad as in 2019 with the vikings and so he has to hit like 108 um doable very doable Five thousand yards though that that's the one that i'm like man that's a lot uh because the commanders were losing a lot of games when kirk cousins was trying to play comeback king and he did it a lot. I mean, he did it a few times, and that's where the you like that came from. And then he followed it up with a, another franchise. They're going to franchise because they franchised him twice. So the 4,900 was the you like that because, you know, that year because he was pissed off being franchised. Then they franchised him again, and then he went for 4,000 yards, and that's when he's like, all right, I'm out of here. Like, you guys clearly don't want to give me a contract. And then we know the whole dinner at Manny's with Spillman, and that's all she wrote. I got to go with Adam Thielen, though. And this is why. When you look at Adam Thielen – because I, I looked at Justin Jefferson yesterday, 
and I talked to Ambry Thomas, uh, former Detroit Martin Luther King, uh, King Crusader, King Dog. Um, he's now in then Big Ten player as well, so we kind of went the same path. And now NFL. And Ambry and I were just talking. He, you know, I, I love to ask DBs about you know guys like Justin Jefferson first Adam Thielen. And he said, man, like Justin is Justin's. You know, he does all the little wiggle waggle at the line. And he said it's different now because the rules. You can't really be too close to the line of scrimmage like Deion Sanders used to be because they're going to throw a flag and say you're offside. Where Deion, if you watch back, used to get a little bit of extra helmet over that line, but his toes were on it, so they didn't call it. You can't do that anymore. It's your entire body they're going to really look at. Um, so you can't quick jam a guy that's doing that little jiggle jaggle that they do at the line of scrimmage now. But he said Justin Jefferson's kind of soft, like at the line. Like he, he you know, he's going to do what he says. He's going to do his thing, but he's soft. Like he's not going to try to muscle you and beat you up and, you know, and run through you. He's going to he's going to finesse you. He said Thielen is a dog. He was like, man, Thielen is going to slap you. He's going to bang into you. You know, he's mm. going to do everything. He's going to use his body. And so, you know, hearing a starting NFL cornerback, young, you know, talk about guys like that, because a lot of guys fear Jefferson because of the finesse. But he's like, no, nah, man. And that's that Detroit in him, because we all grew up the same in Detroit. Like, it, it was physical play. Like, we used to do seven-on-seven padded, but it was no flags. Like, we wanted to get better. So if you need to hold and grab me, I'm throwing you off. Like, do it. Um, but we did it with, you know, not to get each other hurt, but we just went at it. And I, he grew up in the same system I did. So I know what he's talking about. So when he says that about Thielen, I'm like, man, like, you know what? This dude Thielen might have himself a year. And so when I look at Adam Thielen's stats, and for him to have a career year, he had 1,373 yards. That's doable. 1,400 yards. Now, the tough thing is Justin Jefferson's going for 15, 16, maybe 1,900. So 1,400 mm. is, might be tough, but I think he can do it in this, in this offense because if Kirk's going to have 5,000, Thielen's got to have at least 1,500 of that. Uh, Jefferson's going to have 2,000 of it. Um, you look at touchdowns. That's the one where it's like, well, but, you know, the 14 touchdowns of 2020, that was a lot. But if Kirk's going to throw for 40 touchdowns, I mean, JJ's going to get, what, 15? Thielen's got to get mm -hmm. 14 at least or 15, and then the other mm -hmm. 10 are going to be spread out. That's 40 touchdowns there. Catches, 113. Now that's the one. Eh, but can he get mm -hmm. 114 catches? Maybe. 100 catches, yes. 115, maybe not. So I think Thielen is primed in some of those metrics. I think he can have a career year under this offense because you saw Justin Jefferson – burn a linebacker which just meant the defense was lined up in a bad set jefferson motioned to the right spot he got man-to-man -man with a linebacker kirk took advantage of the mismatch i loved it like people were like oh that's a mismatch that's the whole point cooper cup had a lot of mismatches and that's why kevin o'connell's gonna make sure jefferson ends up there but hey if i'm a team and i'm paying attention i might man up jefferson with my guy you follow him all over and everybody else play your play so then what happens adam thielen's there because not you know because a lot of these teams have that man corner now and they might want to take Justin Jefferson away. Well, then who's going to be open? Adam Thielen. So that's why I think Adam Thielen does have a shot to do it. But as we move on to the last topic, Timberwolf schedule came out. I'm a basketball guy. I love the fact that LeBron James signed for, you know, 70, what, $97 million. And he's aged like 40, basically. Like, that's just star power. That's not skill. Like, he, now he is great. And so when you look at that schedule, though, I, I love basketball. One, the Lakers jumped out to me right away. Lakers are coming here. So I got to see LeBron. Um, but then the Jazz. That's one that maybe not a lot of people aren't worried about. I am because I love when former players play their team. Rudy Gobert playing the Jazz. I want to see what that looked like. Is he going to overdo it, just try to block everything? And is that going to be a game to watch? Uh, that's as far as I got on the schedule. I didn't even look at Christmas games and holiday games and all that because at that point, football is still really too high for me. 
Uh, but I'm looking forward to those early games, Lakers and then the Jazz. What about you guys? Yeah, I'll I'll take a stab. I like that they've got nine of their first 12 at home uh, and against not that good a competition. They've got a chance to start really fast, and that's exactly yeah. what this franchise is looking for with the new look uh, roster. I'm sure they've sold a bunch of season tickets. Uh, this is going to be a momentous season for the Timberwolves on paper. Now, obviously, things can go wrong, but it's they're primed for like a 9-3 and three start, which is awesome. And then how about this? 16 nationally televised games. The Minnesota Timberwolves are on the map. They had a little bit of this type of exposure in the Jimmy Butler year and change. It wasn't a very long stay. Um, but this is going to be a year where people are talking about the Timberwolves, and that's going to be pretty cool. They've got the flashy ownership. They've got the big uh, front court with Cat and Gobert. They've got Ann Edwards, who's on Netflix movies. The Timberwolves <laughs> are going global, and they're going to be on ESPN, TNT, NBA TV. Uh, so people are going to be have their eyes on this group. There's there's legitimate pressure on the Timberwolves now. So how are they going to handle it? I can't wait oh, yeah. to find out. Yeah, a little bit more of a surface NBA fan, getting much more into it after this last year than you two. But there's a great article out here by Jack Borman on Twitter, at JRBorman13, breaks down the whole schedule. And couple just big bullet points, paraphrasing a little bit. First off, what you mentioned, Sam, 16 televised games. They only had four last year. So four times mm. as many televised games. And 10 of those are going to be on ESPN or TNT. So you're right. They are going global. Uh, call it the Anthony Edwards effect. Uh, you know, when it when it really boils down to it, I think that big Rudy Gobert trade and then obviously just having a superstar, young superstar like Ant Edwards, though, really helps get those primetime games. And then he also noted the Wolves have not one but two stretches of 10 games during the season with the easiest schedule in the NBA and a third 10 game stretch with the second easiest schedule. It's in the first half of the season. The schedule does get a lot tougher in the second half, but if you're a team still trying to figure out their nucleus and chemistry, things like that, after that big trade with Rudy Gobert, you want the easy stuff first. And then hopefully you kind of get those growing pains out of the way. And when things get tougher, that second half of the year, hopefully you got that chemistry and timing and stuff like that down. So those are the three big bullet points, but uh, recommend people going to check that out again. It's by Jack Borman, but just does an outstanding job of breaking that stuff down. But yeah, a lot of stuff to be excited about just looking at the schedule at first glance. Here's something weird though. I don't know if you guys noticed this. I was looking at this and I was like, what, what is going on? So they play the Thunder at home. Then they turn around mm -hmm. and play the Jazz two days later. And then they go back and play the Thunder at their place. Like super weird. And then this is the yeah, one that got San me. Antonio After that, three times? Yeah. They play yeah. them back-to-back -back at home, though. Like, they play them on the 24th. They rest a day. Yeah. And then they turn around and play them again like a baseball. I, I do like that. Like, I, I like the baseball, yeah. like, basketball college-type format like that. But that's super weird because that's never happened. But I, I'm going to check some other people's schedules out because I wonder if they're trying that to see if this, you know, to cut down on travel. Because I know that was a big yeah. thing for the NBA collective bargaining agreement was guys weren't happy with, like, playing L.A., and then all of a sudden having to jump on a plane, go all the way to New York to deal with the Knicks, and then having to jump on a plane and go all the way back and play the Warriors. And I know a lot of people were, were talking about that um, just because they want more money. You know, like they want baseball-type money. Uh, they want $450 million contracts. And I'm like, dude, you're on a private jet. Like, it's, it's a 30-seater. <laughs> like, it's a gigantic sure. 757 with, like, 30 luxury seats, food you know a, a a a waitress 
you got a, 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 I mean, you come on now. You got like, it's not, this is not, you're not flying on, on, on a, like a commercial airline in middle economy. And, and I kind of see what they did there because they're playing the Spurs and then they're kind of staying like Southwest because they're going to play the Suns after that. So I think they're trying to work it, um, you know, trying to work the schedule a little bit because they have the Rockets at home, then they have the Knicks at home, then they have the Suns at home, and then they go to Memphis. Um, and so that's that's a it's an interesting it's an interesting look because they go from Memphis to Cleveland to Orlando, so not a bad travel, but also it's travel because then they, and then they're on the the 76ers. so they have a four game road stretch, and that's the stuff they were talking about. Like, hey, why are we doing it this way? You know, you got us going from uh, Memphis to Cleveland to Orlando to uh, Philadelphia. It's not that bad on the jet. Like, come on now. But yeah, what do you guys think about that? The back to backs. Like, do you think that becomes a thing in the NBA? Yeah, I think that this is a, a definite intentional move to reduce travel. Um, I don't really know why you do it with San Antonio because that's probably one of your easier trips, to be honest. You just fly straight south into Texas. Um, you'd rather have that, you know, for those Southern California games or maybe the, the Florida games. But um, I, I, I get it, and I like it. I, I don't think that – They have the temperature. Any... And by the way, they have it twice. The Trailblazers, they play twice. They look to the end. The Trailblazers – they played December 10th and December 12th in Portland. So, again, they're – yeah, clearly it's intentional. Yeah, like, you know who this is really for? I, it's for the teams that are coastal. And if they have those long flights, I'm sure they're trying to to bang out a couple games when they can um, to reduce those cross-country flights. But um, I, I'm fine with it. I mean, I'm, I'm okay, like, if you uh, get to know your opponents a little bit and then play them again two nights later, I think that makes for – for good drama, it can increase the rivalry. Um, I know it's maybe a, a little little redundant, um, but I have no issue with it. I think that NBA teams have to travel so much. Why not take the load off just a little bit? Yeah, uh, not too much to add there. I think you're absolutely right. Just much more efficient for everybody, the logistics of traveling, things like that. I think it does make a little bit of sense. A little weird to see. I'm with you, Ron. A little weird and goofy to see right away, but I think we'll get used to it pretty quick. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yep. Well, we're going to get used to it. I, I do like it. Like after looking at the, the trailblazers, looking at the suns, I, I do like that, like a baseball interleague type of deal where you're going to stay there for three or four days and just play each other two, three times. Just like that. I mean, just like, uh, you know, college basketball, like, you know, a lot of times they scrimmage and they do that. So yeah, why not get it out the way, play a few times, like, um, like the playoffs, it, it, it becomes like a small playoff format where you're getting that team mm -hmm. two to three times, an easy way to knock out 82 games and not have a ton of travel. So I'm with it. I will, we'll see how it pans out this year. If more teams do it, if it becomes a three-game series instead of a two. But, you know, I think two's a sweet spot, and they, they might have found lightning in a bottle. We'll see how the fans take to it. Uh, and then we'll see if they give out deals. Like, hey, if you buy two tickets to both nights, we'll give you, you know, whatever, 75% or 25% discount or something. You know, who knows what that looks like. But that'll do it today for the Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast Network's round table. That's Luke Inman. That's Sam Ekstrom. I'm Ron Johnson. Please make sure you subscribe on in, or sorry, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. You can find Locked On Sports Minnesota on any platform from Spotify to iTunes or wherever else you get them, the iHeartMedia app, wherever it is, find us. And then you can find uh, Luke Inman and Reggie Wilson on Superior Sports Talk and then myself and uh, Sam Ekstrom on the Ron Johnson Show. Thank you. Have a great day. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.